All right, turn in your Bibles. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 1. And for those of you that were not here last week and are wondering why we have deviated from the book of Acts, we are taking this time to go through the Pauline epistles uh, in conjunction with where we are in Acts uh, to pause and really look at some of the doctrines, the theology of Paul. And um, I think hopefully as a, a church learn a few things because what's interesting here is why Galatians is even being written. It's very important to understand that Paul is writing because there's confusion already in the gospel message. That what Paul preached and, and what he shared with them when he was there, they've already deviated. It's one of the only epistles in which Paul begins this nice little welcome and then gets right into sharing what's wrong with the church. There's no thanksgiving or nice ease into the topic of the day. It's He goes right in, he dives in, and that's because of the urgency, I believe, of the gospel message. And so today, let's join together in Galatians 1, 1 through 12, and let's see what God's Word has for us. We're going to look at verses 6 through 12. We looked at 1 through 5 last week. And let's begin... In Luke 18, there's this wonderful uh, parable that Jesus tells. This wonderful parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. You can turn there and follow along if you want. It's Luke 18, 9 through 14, and let me just share with you this story. As Jesus tells this parable of two men, he says, verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. You see, what happens is the Pharisee goes in with an attitude of self-righteousness, of look at me, I'm a Pharisee, I am a follower of God, I am a worshiper of God. And the text says that he was standing by himself and he prayed this way. This is what he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He goes on to say, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Here is a man boasting on his religion, on his practice, on what he does to glorify God. So there's a just cause that he's standing before men saying, look at what I'm doing. And Jesus then takes that picture and contrasts it with the tax collector. Now, don't get wrapped around the axle about tax collectors. Paying taxes are not necessarily bad. That's not the point of the passage. And it's not that he was bad because of his job, his vocation. Obviously, if God is sovereign, he was called to that job. That's not the point either. The point is his response, which is completely different. What do you remember about the tax collector? First off, he was standing far off. You almost wouldn't have noticed him if the Pharisee didn't say, Hey, that guy over there, I'm glad I'm not like him. But he's standing far off. 
He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. Here is a man who thinks so poorly of himself, he's not even worthy to look up toward God the Father. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You understand the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector? We have a picture here of two completely different worshipers of God. And Jesus finishes in verse 14 by saying, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, talking about the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled The one who humbles himself will be exalted. What I think is taking place in this parable is not much different than we see in our own life. But really, what's happening here is a misapplication of the gospel message. It's taking the gospel and making it something it's not. That's what Paul's addressing in Galatians. Go back to Galatians 1 with me for just a moment now. And you see in Galatians 1, Paul is saying, I am astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There's the accusation. That they have actively turned away from this good news, this gospel message from their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being dependent on his work and his accomplishment for salvation. They have turned away And Paul is astonished. He's marveling at this, saying, I don't understand how you can turn from this gospel. Well, I shared with you this parable of Jesus, this illustration of the Pharisee and tax collector, because I want you to realize that we're not far off from misapplying the gospel. But when we misapply the gospel, when we misunderstand the gospel and and treat it wrongly, we end up in these contrasting versions. And so we have before us Paul calling us back to the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not that there is another, he says, right? He's not even going to give up credit to say, hey, you may be thinking there are two gospels. You see, it's not like the Pharisee takes one gospel and that the tax collector takes another gospel so that there are two gospels. No, it's a misapplication of the same gospel. The message of Jesus Christ misapplied. I love what Tim Keller says about this in his book, Center Church. He says, the power of the gospel comes in two movements. First, it says, I am am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. That's the first movement. The gospel shows us that we are more sinful and flawed than we think We truly are. So we can sit here and look at the Pharisee and say, I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisee. See the irony of ironies? But then it comes the second part, and Keller puts it this way. We quickly follow that statement with, yet I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. And so we as Christians now have a dilemma. How do we take this very simple gospel message and apply it to our life so that we're 
not ending up like the Galatians and deserving a letter in which we are reading on a Sunday morning. You see my point? We do deserve this letter because some of us misapply the gospel. We have strayed from the gospel. Not that there is another, but we are misapplying the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, again, in the book of Galatians, in this epistle, is writing to combat the Judaizers. You see, the Judaizers were the Jewish Christians who said that the law still remains, that circumcision is still a requirement to be a Christian. Now, if we all think about that for just a second, we would say, no, that's not true. We know that not to be the case. And we'll talk more about the Judaizers in the weeks coming up. But here, Paul is writing to address, first and foremost, the misapplication of the gospel message. We hear the words. We're reminded of the words. All of Scripture points us to Jesus Christ and His work for our salvation. And yet we take that very important doctrine. We do many different things with it. Sometimes we set it aside. Sometimes we think, I've done that. I've already heard the Gospel. I've been converted. I need to move on and be something else. Or we ignore it completely. And in Romans 10, Paul says this, but they have not all obeyed the Gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. You see, not only is there a hearing of the message, there's a doing of something based off of what we have heard. There is an obedience to this Gospel as Paul says in Romans 10. So it's not a simple message in which we hear the good news. It's, again, not like a news report. We hear it, we move on, go about our day. No, we hear the gospel and we do something with it. So what is it that we do? There are multiple ways that we misapply God's Word, even today. The good news of Jesus Christ. I want to look at some ways that we mess up the gospel message this morning. What are some ways that we get it wrong? First of all, we misapply the gospel when we misunderstand it. We misapply it when we misunderstand it. In other words, we talked about it last week. We we shared that the gospel is the work of Christ wrapped up in two words, right? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. That's the gospel in two words. And then we now have heard about God's grace and the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Now what? Great. What do I do now? Again, the gospel is no more than a message. The euangelion in Greek, the good news, the glad tidings of what Jesus has done for me and my salvation. What He has done to redeem a people to Himself, to establish His kingdom, to adopt me and you. If we don't understand what the Gospel is, we may misapply that Gospel message. 
We can misunderstand the Gospel by misunderstanding Jesus. How often do you go to Scripture and you read something Jesus has said, read a parable, and you walk away scratching your head going, I wonder if I got that right. I wonder if, if I really understand Jesus and what He's teaching. Because let me just give us a, a little warning here. I'm not saying that we can't understand Scripture. Don't, don't go there. But what I'm saying is we need to really wrestle with what's being taught and reflect upon what's being said lest we get it wrong. The disciples, even as they were hearing the parables, were still very confused. We're still very uh, misapplying and misunderstanding what Jesus was saying, weren't they? Multiple times. Are we better than they? No. We can misunderstand the gospel, and I'm afraid we do. We misunderstand who Jesus is, what he has done. We talk in terms we do not know. We, we say things we do not know without checking to see if it's biblically factual. How many times have you heard that Jesus was a good teacher? Or Jesus was a good moral example? Even in our own uh, Presbyterian circles, you'll hear people talk about Jesus as a great moral example for us. That we may live like Him. And I think we miss the points. We misunderstand who Jesus is. You see, when we misunderstand who Jesus is, we misunderstand what Jesus says, then we automatically will misapply those misunderstandings. A lot of misses here. Follow me. Jesus tells us what the gospel is. Some of us may be wondering, well, where do we understand this gospel? Paul is telling us about this gospel. Where does he get this? He gets it from Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Those are the words of Jesus. The gospel is a message, a proclamation of the kingdom and the healing and what God has done to save his people. It is a message Giving, given to us by Jesus Christ. We talked about last week how important this message is so that God established the apostles to protect that message so that they got it right, which is why Paul now says, not that there's another gospel. The apostles are making sure of that. God has made sure that the gospel message is true. But how we understand the gospel and if we understand it rightly, it can be applied rightly. See, the Galatians, the Judaizers, they were applying it incorrectly. Or they were turning away from it as if there was another. But folks, there is a message, and that message is the good news of Jesus Christ, and there is no other. Jesus says, this is the gospel of the kingdom.
it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. In other words, it is a message. It's not something we do. It's not something we live. It is a message that we hold. It's a message that's been given to us by the apostles that we may proclaim it to the world so that those who have ears to hear and eyes to see will see the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. It is a message about God establishing His kingdom through salvation of His people. It is a message of the grace and peace that I mentioned last week through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All of these things, here's the best part about the Gospel, all of these things come from outside of us. Yet they force us to interact with this very message. Don't take the Gospel message and set it aside. Or misunderstand. Don't make it something more than it actually is. You see, part of the the result here is a misapplication. Most of us don't like the fact that the gospel is that simple. It's too easy. Right? It's too easy. No, 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 pastor, you got to tell me what, I got to do something. Okay, have faith. Well, yeah, okay, I got that. Now what? Okay, obey. Well, I kept all the law. Right? So what do we do with this gospel message? Once we understand it, we can apply it rightly. Again, I love Tim Keller. He does so, such a good job with this in the book, Center Church. He draws these comparisons. And he says, we have a tendency to, to take the gospel and rather leaving it in the center where it is, we go one way or the other. We either go toward the religion or the irreligion. Or, another way, legalism versus antinomianism or lawlessness. Two extremes. Or, let's put it a third way, moralism versus relativism or pragmatism. Either way, when we approach the gospel, our heart, our tendency, our mind, our desire is to make it something that is not. We don't understand. And when we approach and hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, don't simply say, I got it. Yep, thanks, Pastor. I've heard this. You said it three weeks in a row. Hopefully I've said it five years in a row. The gospel message is essential. And it's not religion or irreligion. It's not legalism versus antinomianism. Let me flesh that out just a little bit more real quick. You see, religion is outside looking in. But the gospel is an inside out. Keller says. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. See the difference? And lastly, Religion says, I obey God in order to get things from God, much like kids do with their parents. The gospel says, I obey to get God, to delight and resemble Him, to be like Christ. Not that Christ is a moral example, but to be like Christ. Keller finishes with this. Most of our problems in life come from a lack of proper orientation to the gospel. More often than not, what we're doing in our own life 
is misapplying the gospel. We're taking this message and making it something that it's not. We're not receiving it at face value. A good example of this is how he deals with criticism. He says when we think about someone criticizing us, someone someone says something or criticizes the way that you do something, don't say that it doesn't happen. It does every day. Sometimes you criticize yourself. Sometimes others criticize you. Keller says this. He says, if you look at it from a very uh, religious standpoint, you will say, when I'm criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it is essential for me to see myself as a good person. Threats to that must be destroyed at all costs. Now, folks, that's not the gospel, is it? That's self-preservation. That's religion. That's looking at myself not in context, not in light of the gospel. No, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel view, he says, is this. When I am criticized, I struggle. But it is not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. But identity is not built on my performance, but on God's love for me through Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Once I understand the gospel, once I understand what it means, that my identity is not in Hank, your pastor, your chaplain, your friend, your husband, whatever. My identity is in in Jesus Christ. Then how I respond to criticism is different. That's very important. We misapply the gospel when we misunderstand the gospel. We also misapply the gospel when we seek approval by man. Look at verse 8 through 10. Isn't it interesting in Galatians where where Paul goes and says to uh, this different gospel that he goes to this kind of the self-defense. Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse. In other words, if, if someone else comes in with a different gospel, let them be cast out. Let them be put away. Let them be taken out of the covenant community and removed. Why? Because there is no other gospel. They're a cancer. And so, Paul here is defending the gospel, not as one given by man, but of God. It's not seeking man's approval. Paul is not saying, hey, let me give you a message that that tickles your ears, or let me give you a message that that you would like. The point here is the gospel is offensive. If, If we hear the gospel, one of the first things we say is, I am worse than I thought I was. That's offensive. We're not going to run out of here today and go, hey folks, we're worse than we thought we were. Isn't that awesome? That's the good news of Jesus Christ. No. I am a sinner saved by God's grace. Two stages. But it is offensive to say that I am in need of a Savior, that I need something outside of myself. The world doesn't see this. The world doesn't understand this. 1 Peter 2 Four through eight reminds us, Peter says that Jesus, this cornerstone, is a stone of stumbling, a rock 
of offense. The Gospel in Jesus Christ, what He has done, is offensive. The end result is we misapply it. We can water it down. Don't we, don't we like to get along? Don't we like for people to, to uh, really like us and, and like the message that we have? None of us like to come in and be the bearer of bad news, do we? How many of you go around and tell your friends they're sinners? No, not your spouse. That's, that's a different story. I do it with an eight-year-old all the time. How many of us go around and tell ourselves that we are sinners in the eyes of God. And I deserve His wrath. I deserve whatever punishment. Even death. So in, in, in being in an attempt to water it down, an attempt to be approved by man, we may do all kinds of things that seem that there's another gospel out there. We may try to present something that it's not. And Paul is addressing this. And what does he say? That, oh, just tolerate it. It's okay. What does he say? Get rid of it. Oh, and in case you didn't get it, go to verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again. Why would he do it twice? Because you did the same thing. Well, surely he didn't mean that. Surely he's not, he's not saying get rid of them. The point is, if there's someone or something being distracting from the gospel, if, if we are presenting, even as a body of believers, as Christian, if we are presenting a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we need to be removed. Notice I didn't say they. We. Brothers and sisters, do you understand the gospel so that you might apply it correctly in your life? Or are you trying to water it down, even, even to your own heart? Oh, I'm, I'm a sinner, but thank God I'm not like him. I'm not like that sinner over there. I'm not a tax collector after all. We misapply the gospel. We misunderstand it. And we try to appease man. And lastly, we misapply when we don't hear it enough. When we think that the gospel is a one and done, when we think the gospel is a message so that I might become a Christian and then I can move on to greater things, because after all, aren't we all just trying to be deacons and elders? And maybe a pastor or two. That's the goal. That's not right. The goal is the gospel message applied every day. The gospel message is something that we need to hear continually. Paul, is he thinks this is so important, he's addressing it to the church of Galatians say, I can't believe you've walked away. I marvel at the fact that the gospel message which brings freedom in Christ, that you are dissuaded by others. I am not here to please man, he says. I'm here to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't hear it enough. Verse 11 through 12, For I would have you know, brothers, Paul says, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we know that Paul takes this in the book of Acts and he goes about, what does he do? In the synagogues, preaches and teaches the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? So that men may be converted? Yes. But also so that converted men may grow in faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is essential for our life. The gospel message needs to be applied rightly every day. We need to be reminded that we are sinners, yet we are saved by God's grace. Martin Luther says, The gospel is for us the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. Now I take that and say, beat it into my own head. But as my pastor, as your pastor, it's my job to share with you and beat continually into your head the gospel of Jesus Christ because we have these misapplications, these desires, these ideas in our own heart and mind that we end up like the Galatians and say, there is another gospel. There is a different way. And it looks like this. No, we are to remind ourselves, even as we come before the Lord's table here in just a few minutes, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. But I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. That's applying the gospel. In closing, some of you may or may not know the story of George Weisheart. I'm going to say no. George Weishart was a Scottish reformer. He was actually the pastor and mentor of John Knox. Everybody knows who John Knox is, right? Yes, just say you do. Appease me for time's sake. So George Weishart was teaching John Knox. But more importantly, he was reforming the church in Scotland by preaching justification by faith alone. And he was a marked man. He was eventually arrested by Cardinal Beaton. He was arrested and burned at the stake. Do you know what his words, his last words were? You probably don't, so I'm going to share them with you. Because this is a right application of the gospel. A man who understood the gospel that as he's being tied to a stake to be burned to death, this is what he says. For this cause I was sent, that I should suffer this fire for Christ's sake. I fear not this fire, and I pray that you, you may not fear them that slay the body, but have no power to slay the soul. And as if that's not enough, he turned to the executioner. He kissed him, and he said, Lo, here is a token that I forgive thee. Do thine office. That's an application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us beat our chests. Let us hang our head low. Know that we are a sinner and flawed more than we ever dared believe. Yet, 
Relish in the fact that we are accepted and loved by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord. We thank you for your word, for your truth. We praise you. We honor you. Lord, we know we don't honor you completely at all times. With our lips, with our hearts, with our minds. We know, O Lord, that we are sinners. But we are sinners saved by your grace. Lord, as we approach your table today, remind us once again of the gospel. That we may sing your praise and glorify your name all that we say and do, that we be faithful, obedient servants of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.